This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary-focused merchandising, payment, and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. I hate to sound like a broken record, but a U.S. airline has, well, broken another record. Delta, who had a couple weeks ago unveiled the best quarter an airline ever had, was dethroned last week by American Airlines, who earned nearly $1.9 billion in net profits. Americans' operating margin was a terrific 20%. Just how good is 20%? Consider that in the same quarter a year ago, that figure was 13%, which at the time was considered great. In 2013, it was 10%. In 2012, it was just 4%. To put it mildly, Americans 20% and Delta's 21% are really good. And what about United, who has been lagging Delta and American in recent years? United chalked up a handsome 19% operating margin in the third quarter. Southwest came in at 20%. All great news, but it doesn't end there. In terms of operating margin, consider that not one, not two, not three, but four other U.S. airlines beat all those carriers I just mentioned. Those are the headlines from last week's third quarter results. We'll look beyond the headlines and touch on Alaska, Norwegian, Vietnam Airlines, and more. It's all coming up now on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jason Cottrell, and with me is the industrious Seth Kaplan, managing partner here at Airline Weekly. Seth, in this week's issue, we explain how American Airlines, despite its great results, is seeing more revenue pressure than Delta and United. America seems to be having more trouble with low-cost carriers, more trouble in overseas markets, and more trouble defending its hubs. For an airline that just made the most money that any airline has ever made, it's a remarkable string of bad luck. Yeah, uh, you know, problems obviously that most airlines around the world would be happy to have to be able to you know, be dealing with all that and still come out with the results that American came out with. But yeah, no question. It, it has uh, some particular pockets of weakness that are maybe uh, deeper in, you know, in terms of how problematic they are uh, than any particular thing you could point to at, at, at Delta and United. Uh, you know, American, first of all, it's its headquarter hub, Dallas-Fort Worth, is just you know under siege by Spirit at the same airport, DFW, and across town by South Southwest Airlines, which now is allowed to fly anywhere in the U.S. because of the end of the old right amendment that used to restrict it to flying uh, just to neighboring states. Uh, so they're dealing with that, dealing also with uh, you know, problems in South America. Now, Delta and United fly to South America, but not nearly as much as American. And so you look at a market like Brazil, uh, you know, which, you know, no matter how much airlines try to do to cut capacity, basically to, to, to bring it in line with demand, uh, you know, the revenues are just, just falling faster than the, uh, uh, than the cuts can keep up with. And Americans just much more exposed to that than, than, uh, Delta or United, uh, you know, Venezuela used to be a huge source of profits for American. Uh, you know, it's actually still profitable, they say, but, um, uh, but, 
falling from a, a very lofty place where, you know, uh, flying from Miami to Caracas used to be one of the most profitable things in American system. Uh, you know, they don't, you know, it's just not anymore. So, uh, so, so a lot of particular issues. Well, one other thing, by the way, just we, we, we should mention in terms of that, that record net profit where they broke Delta's record, uh, you know, Delta, you, you might say a little bit of a victim of its own success now actually pays income taxes again, uh, whereas whereas its its competitors, in, in, you know, in the case of an airline like, like American, um, still don't because they're able to carry forward the losses that they had much more recently. American, of course, was was bankrupt not long ago, uh, whereas Delta, just because it had a head start on its restructuring and, and has now been uh, profiting for, for a number of years, is paying those taxes again. And those hit the net numbers, uh, you know, bring down Delta's net profits, even though they don't impact the operating margin. So, you know, when we said Delta's operating margin was still high, higher than Americans, a bit higher anyway. Uh, yeah, it's very good for Delta, especially considering that Delta uh, hedges fuel and lost a lot of money hedging fuel, whereas uh, American, of course, is unhedged. But yeah, no question, you know, to, to hear everything that's going ostensibly wrong in American and see the results that they're putting up, uh, you know, you got to hand this to them. They're, they're navigating uh, the, a difficult environment in at least somewhat respects. Uh, very, very well. Moving on to United, they earned an impressive $1.7 billion in the quarter, more than Delta, but less than American. Not bad at all, but United's third quarter last year also showed good comparable results. We mentioned that certain attributes of United's network make its third quarter particularly strong. What are those attributes? Yeah, don't don't look now, but you know, United, uh, you know, granted, coming from a a, a worse starting point, uh, if anything, is is improving even more than than Delta and American. Um, you know, some some real tailwinds there, as we've discussed in, in some recent episodes for, uh, for for whoever the CEO uh, ends up being over the long term. Uh, yeah, you know, they've they've got a network that's uh, very east west oriented, uh, particularly within the U.S. Uh, that's kind of a third quarter thing, the trans continental flying, um, not as much north-south, which benefits from more of the uh, sort of the Easter traffic that often occurs during the second quarter, uh, you know, flying to to points around the world, particularly Europe, uh, you know, where United has a very large operation. Uh, that, that's very much a third quarter thing. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's happened before where you see United have a phenomenal third quarter and think, oh, they've turned the corner. And then the winter quarters, you know, the fourth quarter and the first quarter uh, are uh, sort of disproportionately bad compared to its competitors. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, certainly the, the, all signs are that United's worst days are, are behind it and that it's uh, uh, that it's moving in the right direction. Uh, although we'll certainly look for them to follow up, hopefully from their perspective, uh, with a strong now fourth quarter, at least a relatively strong fourth quarter, even though, of course, it won't be as profitable as the third quarter. And so the real test will be in the upcoming quarters. Is there a case to be made that United has truly narrowed the gap on American and Delta? Well, I mean, factually, they have just from a standpoint of, you know, their margins have improved more uh, year over year than those airlines. Um, you know, I mentioned a minute ago, Delta is, is still weighed down somewhat by its bad hedges. United has some of those, too. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they, they are catching up, uh, you know, we'll see if they ever manage to, uh, 
you know, to, to completely close the gap. That, of course, is one of the age old questions that we've uh, that we have discussed again in, in earlier episodes. You know, uh, we had that whole discussion, you know, is it the jockey or the horse? You know, is it the people running United, uh, you know, who, who, you know, very different management teams who have never uh, sort of been able to consistently earn more money than its competitors? Or is there just something structural that United? Um, but, you know, whatever the case, uh, no question, it's it's uh, it's doing better than most other airlines around the world, uh, if, if, if not quite as well as a few of its very high flying U.S. peers. Yeah, one encouraging sign to me is that United appears to be hanging in there despite a heavy blow in Houston. Falling oil prices have meant a 35 percent decline in business from energy firms. Do you see that as a hopeful sign? Very much so. Yeah, I mean, you know, you hear you hear numbers like that, and it's it's kind of like what we said about American. You know, if I told if I tell you only what's happening in Brazil and Venezuela and and, and everybody attacking American at DFW, you say, oh my gosh, what's happening with that airline? You know, and then you see the numbers are not too bad. And yeah, uh, you know, certainly United uh, to to be able to withstand what's going on in the energy sector uh, as well as it is. Uh, yeah, that, that you have to consider that good news. You know, if things if things stabilize, uh, you know, if if the sort of the drop off in spending has a, a, at least plateaued or 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 will be doing so soon. I mean, other airlines too have their own uh, you know exposure. You know, an airline like Delta, for example, uh, although it doesn't have a hub in a place like Houston, uh, everything that's been going on in North Dakota over the past few years, that's uh, you know a lot of that is connections through Minneapolis. Delta carries carries more of that, and for that matter. Allegiant had a lot of uh, nonstop routes from there to places where when people were feeling wealthy there, they wanted to go, you know, Las Vegas and so forth. And that's all changed. So uh, so all airlines to one degree or another have energy sector exposure. But uh, but but United, because of its Houston hub, has has more than anybody else. And, and yeah, they're they're uh, they're they're holding up reasonably well, considering it. When you look around at U.S. airlines, one carrier that you'd think would be particularly vulnerable to energy prices would be Alaska Airlines. But they rang up a whopping 29% operating margin. Yeah, particularly vulnerable if you consider their their uh, their their Alaska flying franchise. You know, after all, they are named Alaska Airlines, and and uh, the state of Alaska is still very important, and 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 that of course very much a petro economy. But on the other hand, uh, you know, just even on the revenue side, uh, uh, you know. Seattle is, is, of course, their biggest hub. Uh, you know, Portland, their second bi- biggest, and uh, these are these are regional economies that are doing very, very well at the moment. So, uh, you know, between just sort of being uh, located in the right place, uh, you know, if not, you know, particularly Alaska, if some of that, you know, you, you would expect would be a bit weaker now than than at other points. Um, you know, because of the revenue situation, because of a new competition that's come in there in recent years. You know, it's 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 biggest hubs are. Uh, are are very well situated. And you combine that with an airline that's just you know, managed itself very well, and uh, yeah, uh, you know they're they're always um, uh, one to look at because you know when you look at the most profitable airlines in the world, generally, uh, you know you you tend to see the ultra low cost carriers, uh, you know, Allegiant, phenomenally profitable, Frontier since converting to a, to an ultra low cost carrier has been to uh, spirit which uh, reported uh, excellent results this week we'll, we'll we'll be covering those in the next issue of airline weekly uh, you know those are the airlines that you tend to see up there uh, among the US ones along with their peers around the world obviously Ryanair always up there uh, and then you might see some of those giant comprehensive uh, airlines Japan Airlines and then you see Alaska and, and you say you know 
you say that's strange, right? I mean, they're, they're one of these sort of mid, mid-sized airlines that, uh, you know, not not the lowest cost, you know, and, and gosh, other airlines that seem to look like them, Virgin America, for example, Virgin Australia, uh, you know, Air Berlin, uh, you know, are, are nowhere to be found among the most profitable airlines in the world, typically. And yet Alaska is uh, one difference, although certainly not the only difference, is its network, is that it has just a very good franchise and uh, in, in, in a part of the country where, uh, where things are going rather well right now. All right, we've got a lot of airlines to cover, so let's bring out the rapid-fire device. I'll say an airline and its profit margin, and you just tell me whatever makes your toes tingle. Okay, go for it. Let's start with Norwegian, 17% operating margin. Saved by cheap fuel. Uh, you know, this is uh, what we, we, we wrote in Airline Weekly uh, at one point over the past few months that we sort of borrowed from the old, um, the old Warren Buffett line about uh, – uh, you know, when, when the uh, when the tide goes out, that's how uh, you can see who's swimming naked. Uh, well, the tide is in in the airline industry to some degree because of uh, of cheap fuel, and and you can no longer see uh, which airlines are swimming naked. Uh, Norwegian is one that uh, you know, obviously took some risks that we've discussed in the past with you know, buying all the Dreamliners and and uh, uh, trying the long haul low-cost flying operation, which has been, you know, a model that's had its difficulties over the years. And clearly it was not exactly a source of, of, of outsized profits, to say the least, for the airline. Um, and it no longer is a source of outsized profits, but they say it's now contributing positively to the bottom line. And, you know, when you see margins like the one you just mentioned, 17 percent, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, even if something's a drag, it, it can't be something as large as that operation can't be all that much of a drag and still leave the airline with margins like those. That's that's, uh, uh, you know, twice as good as, as the margin last year. Uh, and basically, yeah, uh, this is something where because of cheap fuel, something that was uh, was risky and questionable uh, now is, you know, if not an uh, an outside contributor, at least at least viable. And if fuel prices stay where they are, and if Norwegian doesn't get too far ahead of itself in terms of growth, you know, maybe maybe they can they can make this work alongside other things at the airline that that are still working, or at least stay hidden by the water. Yeah. <laughs> Southwest, twenty percent margin. Yeah, uh, right place, right time. Uh, you know, great U.S. domestic fly, uh, market in general. The end of the right amendment. Uh, you know, everything that's that's bad for American is, is sort of good for Southwest. Southwest is the problem uh, to to a degree uh, for American, uh, and 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 still lots of opportunities. Um, you know, uh, an airline that now. Um, for example, is, is is sort of dabbling again in the ultra short haul markets that uh, that that used to be its bread and butter. You know, it used to be that's what you did when you flew Southwest was fly you know two or three hundred miles sometimes. Uh, in, in the post 9/11 environment with the airport security hassles, those became more difficult. Uh, but now with cheap fuel and and you know all airlines able to able to price more competitively against car trips. Uh, you know, well, Southwest is the one it just kind of because, because of how they're structured, that's best positioned to do that. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you can be offering, uh, you know, in some cases, one way flights for, you know, for well under a hundred dollars again, and, and get some of those corporate travelers who began driving those, those short distances back into the air, big opportunity for Southwest. Their new reservation system is a big opportunity for Southwest, uh, you know, all kinds of code share possibilities going forward in the next few years. And of course, there are those opportunities that uh, you know they may or may not take, but that have certainly worked well for other airlines 
uh, you know, charging the bag fees, offering seat assignments at least for a fee, uh, you know, reservation change fees and so forth. Again, some of that will become uh, easier also because of the reservation system. You know, whether or not they decide to do it, we'll see. Um, but uh, certainly at least judging by the results at other airlines, you know, while it's hard to argue with their results, uh, the, the, the data would probably suggest that still some, some opportunity left for them. Okay, moving to Mexico, where we're seeing even you know more amazing numbers. Valaris, twenty-one percent margin. Yeah, Me- Mexico. Uh, you know, although very broadly speaking, obviously part of Latin America. Uh, you know, nothing like what's going on in South America, where, by the way, not uh, not all markets are alike. We mentioned Brazil and Venezuela. There are others that are not not nearly as bad. A place like Colombia, you know, holding up holding up better in those. But yeah. Mexico, uh, you know, obviously uh, a neighbor of the U.S., which uh, is, is a good place to be. And, uh, you know, here we are on the eve of something that, you know, although it's not fully technically open skies, it, it looks a lot like open skies. Uh, Mexico and the U.S. about to to vastly liberalize their uh, their treaty uh, and, and, you know, basically allow airlines to do what they want in terms of flying from either side of the border to the other. And although that does present some risk, uh, you know, certainly for all airlines because it's more competition, you know, when you're when you're the lowest cost provider, which is which is about what Valaris is in the market, uh, you know, that's that's not going to scare you as much as as some of your competitors. So, you know, they've embraced the idea of, I guess, what you might call open ish skies um, and uh, and and yeah, just all kinds of new flying opportunities. And again, they are one of those ultra low cost carriers where, uh, you know, although there's more than one more more than one way to make money in the airline industry. Uh, you know that's that's never a bad place to start. That model, backed by Indigo Partners, which backed the transformation at Spirit, and you know backed the launch of Wizz Air, a very successful uh, airline, and is now backing uh, the, an extraordinarily impressive transformation at, at Frontier. Uh, you know they're involved in Volaris, and and so uh, hard not to be optimistic about the future of that airline. And in Singapore, uh, Tiger Air, negative six percent margin. Yeah, when, when is a negative six percent margin good news? Well, when it when it uh, when last year's margin was negative fifteen percent. Um, yeah, Tiger Air is an airline that 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 has never really earned consistent profits. I mean, they've had their moments. Uh, one, by the way, that uh, I mentioned Indigo Partners that that they as well were 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 behind. Uh, they they sort of had good timing in selling at a time when things were going reasonably well. Uh, and, and then Tiger Air has had some difficulties, you know, some, some of it a victim of its own hyper ambition and probably getting involved in some things that, uh, that it shouldn't have, uh, you know, partly just uh, the, the overcapacity situation in Southeast Asia, a place where, uh, where most airlines to one degree or another are struggling. Good news for Tiger Air and others. That seems to be abating. Uh, you, you know, the signs are that uh, that these, the supply and demand balance is, is shifting at least a bit more in favor of the airlines uh, than than where it's been in recent years, and uh, so no surprise uh, if they continue improving. Although, obviously, uh, they have a very long way to go. Okay, that ends the earnings portion of our show. But I wanted to touch on our cover story, which looks at Vietnam Airlines as it strives to become a global player. I wanted to share just one fragment from that story that I found surprising. In at least one regard, Vietnam Airlines is similar to the mighty Emirates. <laughs> yeah, I don't think most people would make that analogy, would they? Um, but I mean, look, Vietnam Airlines, certainly similar, and, and I don't think this is what you're talking about, but similar in terms of it, its ambition, albeit on a smaller scale. Look, it's, it's flying both 
Boeing 787 Dreamliners and Airbus 350s. Uh, one of only two airlines in the world right now flying both of those new generation fleet types. And, and the other one's not Everett's, by the way. It's, it's, it's Qatar Airways. So uh, yeah, certainly an ambitious airline. But the, what you're talking about when we mentioned the story uh, is, is that, you know, Emirates is sort of the de facto home airline, even for a lot of people outside the United Arab Emirates. You know, in its home region, there are people who how you get to the world is you, you know, hop on a flight to Dubai and you connect onward from there to the rest of the world. Well, Vietnam Airlines in its immediate region occupies very much the same role. You know, look, it's 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 still sort of struggling to establish its reputation on the world stage. If you ask most people around the world what what's their their best regarded airline, they're not going to say Vietnam Airlines. But if you ask people in Cambodia, you know, relative to to the home airlines there, what's a reliable way to get to the world? For a lot of them, they're going to say, yeah, uh, you know, connect in Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh City onward to wherever it is that they're going. And, and so Vietnam, Vietnam Airlines has, has you know, very much established itself as the de facto home carrier uh, for people in in Cambodia and Myanmar and so forth, uh, in much the same way that Dubai that uh, Emirates rather has managed to do that uh, with its Dubai hub in its immediate region. It was a very interesting cover story. Unfortunately, we've got to leave it right there for this week. Seth, thanks for joining me. You make my job easy. <laughs> Before we go, uh, let me reiterate that unlike our newsletter, which is subscription-based, our podcast is free and you are welcome to forward it. You can subscribe to the podcast at the Airline Weekly website or on Stitcher or iTunes. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Tired of listening to earnings reports? Never. Me neither. 